0: Well, I know this is kind of a personal question, um, but I wonder if you've ever had one of those days where somehow you forgot to put your deodorant on in the morning. This may be TMI, but back when I was in about seventh grade, I had one of those days. I didn't even realize it at first that the day started off pretty normal. I got on the bus, went to school. Uh, First period, everything was fine. Second period, all good. But then in third period, that's when it hit. I'm sitting there in English class, and the teacher is droning on about passive participles or whatever and suddenly I get this whiff of BO and initially I just assumed that it was the guy sitting in front of me and immediately I started feeling sorry for this guy uh, because I wasn't gonna call him out on it I'm not mean but I knew inevitably somebody was gonna call this guy out and who knows how long he would have to endure teasing and nicknames and you know good luck ever getting a girl to like you after something humiliating like that I'm sitting there thinking that this poor guy but then a a few minutes later uh, I get another whiff and that's when it hits me it's not the guy sitting in front of me it's actually me and I tried unsuccessfully not to panic but my, my middle school life just flashed before my eyes and uh, my, my first move was I thought you know I'll just pin my arms to my side and maybe that'll make it better if you've ever tried that it does not work it makes it worse you, you sweat ten times more um, my second move was uh, I went to the bathroom and uh, of course I had to walk like right by the the pile popular girl on my way out of the the room and I'm you know trying to play it cool went into the bathroom got some wet paper towels tried to, to do a little cleaning up uh, that did not work uh, so I walked out of the bathroom and, and prayed like God in in heaven if you can hear me please get me through this day and uh, I don't know if I would call this a miracle exactly but somehow I made it through that entire day without anybody calling me out on my BO thank goodness <laughs> thank goodness now uh, looking back I I can find the humor in that whole situation, uh, but at the time, it was anything but funny. It was super, super stressful. That's why I can vividly remember all of this decades later, and, and I bet most of you have similar middle school experiences of your own. And, and even if you were one of the cool kids and you avoided anything too humiliating happening to you, uh, still, it's a super stressful stage of life, right? And, and it's super stressful uh, because we're all insecure at that age, and yet, you you know, we want to be loved, we want to be accepted, we we desperately want to belong. And the message that we get is that if we want to be loved and accepted, if we we want to belong, we have to act a certain way, we have to dress a a certain way, we have to fit in with everybody else, you know, whatever, whatever that means. And it feels like there's very little room for error, right? You make one false move, you forget your deodorant one day, and whatever sense of belonging and acceptance you might have had, it could vanish in an instant. Well uh, fortunately for, for most of us life gets a lot better after middle school and we mature and, and the hormones calm down uh, all of that helps but but the truth is when you think about it, the world that we live in, even as adults the, the world still has some of these same dynamics at play. The world still bombards us with this message through social media and pop culture and, and advertisements the world gives us this message that if we want to be worthy of love, if we want to be worthy of acceptance, then we have to meet certain conditions. You know, we have to look a certain way. We have to act a certain way. Our lives have to go a certain way. The world has a way of t- giving us this message that we're only worthy of love if. We're only worthy of love if we're a good enough mom. We're only worthy of love if we're considered successful in our career or if we don't have any major struggles that that other people can see. Uh, we're only worthy of love if we're uh, a attractive enough, or skinny enough, or stylish enough, or or only if we get good enough grades or or whatever it is, only then, the world tells us, will you be worthy of love. And a lot of times, as that message sinks in, it can leave us doubting whether we do measure up, or whether we can keep measuring up. What if we fall short in some kind of way? What if we forget to put on our metaphorical deodorant and, and we're no longer lovable anymore? And that can lead to feelings of shame and anxiety and insecurity. It puts us on this never-ending treadmill where we're always having to do more and and try harder, but we never quite get there, do we? We never quite arrive at the kind of love and and self-worth that we long for, at least not in a lasting way. And so what do we do Well, we just keep trying harder and we keep doing more and we keep worrying about it and and sometimes we just have to numb out to deal with all that pressure, all that pressure of of constantly having to prove that we're worthy of love and acceptance. On and on it goes and it's overwhelming and, and it's exhausting, but the world tells us, keep going, keep going because this is the only way, this is the only way you're gonna find the kind of love that you crave. Now what I want us to see today is that all of that that the world tells us, all of that is actually a lie, it's a lie. As as Christians, uh, one of the most important things that we learn from Jesus is how to name that lie so that we can resist it in our lives. When Jesus comes to us, he shows us a very, very different kind of love. It's a kind of love that's available to every single one of us all the time, no matter what. And it doesn't leave us with this constant sense of shame like the world does, but it's actually the cure for our shame. And the love of Jesus, it doesn't heap more burdens on top of us like the world does, but it actually removes our burdens from us. As we'll see in a minute, when we lean into that love, when we lean into that love, we, we never have to feel unworthy ever, ever again. We'll dig into that further in just a second. But uh, today, we are wrapping up our sermon series that has been all about courage. You know, we've talked about how courage is a vital ingredient if we want to live a meaningful life. And courage is especially important to live the Christian life because if we're not willing to step up and do some things that are hard and uncomfortable, if we're not willing to to step outside of our our comfort zones and and push ourselves in different ways, then we're going to struggle to follow Jesus in a way that makes a real difference in our lives and in our world. And so it's super important that we cultivate courage. And in this series, we've been looking at six different dimensions of courage. And for each one, we've been talking about how does Jesus model this for us? And what's the difference that this can make in our lives and in our world? And as we as we wrap up here uh, today, um, we're looking at one of the connections between courage and love. And I want us to see how that the kind of love that Jesus is about that frees us from the kind of conditional love that we so often get from the world with all of the shame and, and all of the baggage that comes with it. Uh, So I want to spend a few minutes uh, looking at this story from Luke chapter 15 that we read earlier in the service today, because this story shows us so clearly, uh, so clearly how the love of Jesus is different from the love of the world and how the love of Jesus is so much better than the love of the world. Uh, now, when this scene opens at the beginning of this passage, uh, Jesus is hanging out here with some social outcasts. We're told Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners. These are people that most other people despised, and, and religious people especially despised these social outcasts. And we're actually told that there were some of those religious people there, too. Uh, they are there. They see Jesus hanging out with these outcasts, and they are appalled by this, and they They start murmuring, they start grumbling about Jesus. They say, This man, talking about Jesus, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Or to put it in middle school terms, you know, this guy purposefully sits at the loser's table with the kids who never wear deodorant. I mean, what is he thinking? What is he thinking? Well, Jesus could have just ignored those critics in this moment, but he recognizes that this moment is too important. It's too important because Jesus can tell these judgy religious people who who claim to represent God, they have actually completely misunderstood the love of God. See, they were thinking that God loves people in the same way that the world loves people, in this conditional kind of way. They're thinking that if you want God to love you, you must prove yourself worthy. They think, you know, you, you've got to believe the right way and worship the right way and, and act the right way. And if you don't live up to those standards, then you are not worthy of God's love, they thought. And that's why they were judging Jesus here. That's why they were shaming these people that Jesus is, is hanging out with. The, in their eyes, these are people who don't measure up. They're not worthy of God's love. Again, they're assuming that God loves people in the same kind of conditional way that the world loves people. Now, I know some of you have experience with some similar kinds of religious folks in in your own life. Some of you have been part of churches where it was taught very clearly that, yeah, God's love is conditional, that you have to measure up in a certain way if you want God to to love you and and embrace you. And if you've been in a church that teaches that, then you know just how toxic that can be. It leads to shame. It leads to hypocrisy um, and, and fear. It's like middle school all over again, except in that case, it's like, divinely sanctioned. It's not good. Well, the good news for us is that Jesus came to show us that that is just not true. It's not true. That God's love could actually not be more different from the kind of, world, the kind of love that we get from the world. And that's why Jesus is not going to let this moment pass without teaching about what God's love is really like About what God's love is really like. And in order to teach about that, uh, Jesus actually tells a story. He lifts up what we call a a parable. And this is one of the most powerful stories that Jesus ever told. So I want to make sure that we don't miss the, the point of this story. The story starts out, Jesus says, a certain man had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, uh, that may not mean much to to you and me, but when Jesus said that in that context, I'm I'm sure people gasped uh, at that, because in that culture, you could only get your inheritance from your father after your father had died. So, So this son is effectively saying to his father, hey, dad, drop dead and give me my money. Wow, uh, that that is uh, shockingly disrespectful, not to mention greedy and and super immature as well. Well, then Jesus goes on. The father, instead of punishing this little punk like we would expect, but he actually gives the son what he asked for. He hands over the inheritance, and and almost immediately the son takes all of that money and he leaves home, and he burns those bridges. Uh, He's essentially communicated, hey, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'm no longer part of this family. Again, shockingly disrespectful. Uh, Then Jesus says this son, he he goes off to some faraway place. We don't know exactly where, but almost immediately he ends up wasting all of his father's money on loose living. Essentially, he goes to Vegas and, and just blows everything in a couple of days. And in no time, this son, he finds himself all alone, far from home, and he's completely broke. Now, as Jesus is telling this story, uh, nobody feels sorry for this guy, you know? He's getting exactly what he deserves, it, it seems. Jesus explains that the son, he ends up, out of desperation, getting a job feeding pigs. And in this culture, that would have been like the most repulsive, disgusting job imaginable. And all these judgy religious people that Jesus is telling this story to, they're thinking, well, good, all of this is good, it serves him right, that little punk, Well, here's where the plot starts to thicken. Uh, Jesus says one day while he's out feeding the pigs. Uh, the son is is starving because he's barely making any money and he's miserable and, and he thinks to himself, okay, he thinks, uh, enough is enough. I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to go back home. And, and he thinks, look, I, I know that I've removed myself from my family. I know that there's no way that my dad is ever going to love me again. He's never going to see me as his child again. I've burned those bridges, but maybe just maybe my father will hire me back to be his servant so the son gathers himself and and he starts traveling back home and as he's walking along uh, he's practicing this little speech that he's gonna he's gonna give his dad about how he knows he's not worthy of love anymore and he knows he's not allowed back in the family anymore but he just wants to be uh, a servant and Jesus says that as as the son is is coming up the road while he's still a long way off uh, his father happens to be outside and his father sees him And his father recognizes that that it's his son. Now, at this point, these these judgy religious people that Jesus is telling this story to, they're thinking, ooh, this is gonna be good. I mean, the audacity of this disrespectful son to to come back home after everything that he did. You know, This is where the father is gonna finally get him. The father is gonna tell him off, this is gonna be good. But here's the plot twist. Here's the plot twist. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how this story goes. Jesus says while the son was still a long way off his father saw him and his father was moved with what the father was moved with anger no the father was moved with with vengeance at seeing his son coming back home no Jesus says that the father was moved with compassion compassion the father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him what uh, Jesus goes on that the son as, as his father is hugging and, and kissing him that the son is trying to give him the, the speech about how he knows he's not worthy of love and he can't belong in the family anymore and, and, and the father just cuts him off the father interrupts him he he doesn't want to he doesn't want to hear it at all. Uh, Jesus goes on that the father said to his servants quickly uh, bring out the best robe and put it on him, that this robe was like a sign of of royalty. I mean, he's getting the the royal treatment. The father says, put a ring on his finger. This referred to like a a family, kind of like a signet ring. This, This would signify that this son is a member of this family. The father says, put sandals on his feet, fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting, the father says. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus says they began to celebrate. Well, do you see the point that Jesus is making in this story? He's saying this father, uh, that this father is like God. And, and this is what God's love is like. And, and think about it. You know, if, if, the, if this father loved in the way that the world loves if this father loved in the way that these judgy religious people loved, if this father's love was even a little bit conditional, then there is no way he would've welcomed his son back home because his son broke every conceivable condition, right? But, but Jesus is saying that, that, that if this father can love even this son after all that he did, if this father can love even this son without condition, that means God loves you And God loves me, and God loves everybody without condition as well. Now, that doesn't mean that God is always happy with our choices. Uh, That doesn't mean that God wants us to just go out and live our lives however we feel like living our lives. No, no, Uh, God is not okay with it when we reject God. Uh, God is not okay with it when we hurt other people. God is not okay with it when we hurt uh, ourselves, not at all. But here's the point, even when we do things that are not okay, and we all at times do things that are not okay, even then, God continues to love us. God doesn't kick us out of the family, but God's arms stay wide open to us. And God keeps putting that family ring on our finger. And God keeps saying to us, hey, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. And there is nothing you can do that would ever, ever change that. The world tells us, that our worth, that our belovedness, it's always conditional. We've always got to prove it, we've got to measure up. But, but Jesus, in this story and throughout his life, Jesus says, no, it's not. No, it's not. Jesus says, "Your are love and your belovedness and your worth, that comes from God and God loves you without conditions. So the challenge for us in all of this, the challenge is that we've got to be intentional and we've got to keep God's voice at the center of our lives. We've gotta keep our our God-given identity as beloved children of God. We've gotta keep that front and, and center, and that's a challenge, and it can take a lot of courage, because the world is constantly bombarding us with a very different message. And if we're not intentional about listening for God's voice and reminding ourselves who God says that we are, then God's voice can get drowned out by all of these other messages that we get from the world. And and then we're right back to thinking that we have to earn our love and and prove our worth and earn our acceptance with, with all of the baggage that comes with that. So we've gotta be courageous And we've gotta be intentional. And actually, that's one of the reasons that Jesus calls all of us into this community called the church. Uh, And it's one of the reasons that Jesus gives us this ritual that we have of coming together, uh, whether online or in person, uh, coming together every single week for worship. Not a couple times a year, uh, not even a couple times a month, but every single week because we need it every single week. We need to listen. We need to be reminded of the way that God loves us and what it means for our lives. And when we do that, it's liberating, and it's transformational, and when we do that, the church becomes a lot like this feast, this party that we read about in this this story that Jesus tells, the church becomes this this homecoming celebration, uh, this feast where we get together and, and we celebrate our true belovedness and our true identity in God. If we can commit ourselves to to keeping God's voice at the center of our lives, it is so transformational. I mean, just think about the difference that it would make in your anxiety level to to, to know deep down that you are loved without condition. Uh, Think about the difference that it would make in your sense of self-worth to know deep down that you are loved without condition. Uh, Think about the difference that it would make in your romantic relationships. Think about the difference it would make in your friendships. Think about the difference it would make in the the approach that you take to your career to know deep down that no matter what, you are loved without condition. Because that is true. That is true. And we get to be the community that celebrates that together. And we get to be the community that helps each other to keep that truth at the very center of our lives. Let me pray for us. Oh God of unconditional, uh, never-ending, extravagant love, uh, Lord, you know that we live in this fallen, broken world. You know that the world is constantly giving us this message that, that we're not quite worthy, that we're not quite worthy of acceptance or, or worthy of love, that we don't quite belong because we, we don't measure up, God. And we can internalize that message. It's so easy for us because we hear it so often and it tears us down and it weighs us down with guilt and, and, and shame, God. So we thank you so much that you liberate us from that with your life-giving, unconditional, covenant, never-ending kind of love. God, we thank you for Jesus who came to, to teach us about this love and to show us what it looks like so that we can know once and for all that you are like this loving father that that Jesus tells us about in this story, that that's how you love each of us. No matter how far we may wander, no matter how many mistakes we may make, no matter what this world does to us, you're always standing there, welcoming us home with with arms wide open. You're, You're constantly affirming our identity as your beloved children. God. Keep drawing us back together in this community so that we can keep reminding each other of that over and over and over again. Because God, we're we're in the world uh, six plus days a week hearing that, that message of conditional love. And as often as we can, we need the reminder that true love and your love for us is unconditional. We thank you for that, God. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. you consider sharing it with a friend who might also enjoy it Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast here and give us a rating that helps us connect with more listeners this free resource and all of kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you Your giving changes lives and it helps us to share and embody god's love if you'd like to make a donation you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church just select give you can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.